Now, from the Mousecapade Studios, here are your hosts. Happy Friday, Mousecapades listeners. This is Vicki, and I'm here with Brad, and we hope that you're all staying safe, happy, and healthy. This is episode 655, and you're listening to the number one podcast that entertains that space between your ears, the Mousecapades podcast. Before we get started, we'd like to remind you that the Mousecapades podcast is part of the Your Story Travel Company. At Your Story Travel Company, we can plan a magical trip for you and your family on just about any budget. Simply text us at 636-395-0544 to book a trip or to get a free quote. It only takes a $200 refundable deposit to hold your reservation. So contact us today. So in exactly two weeks, Brad, we will finally be able to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Disney World in Orlando, Florida, which, so it seems like we've been counting this down forever. And now the time is finally here. October has historically been a huge month of milestones in the history of the Disney parks. So it's kind of quite fitting that we are adding to another huge milestone to that list in 2021 by celebrating the 50th anniversary of Disney. Today, we thought it would be fun to take a brief stroll down memory lane and talk about some other events that have occurred in the month of October throughout Disney's history. We've chosen a few that seem important or significant in some way, at least to us. So Brad is going to go ahead and kick us off. All right, so we'll go ahead and start with the obvious one first. Vicki, you just mentioned that in a couple of weeks from today, actually, the 50th anniversary will be here, finally. Um, So if you do the math, that means that Walt Disney World in Florida opened in October of 1971, about a year before I was born. It was actually October 1st, actually, 1971. So a year and eight days before you were born. That's right. So at the time, Walt Disney World, quote, Walt Disney World, consisted of these parks and resorts. A, the Magic Kingdom. B, Contemporary Resort. C, Polynesian Village. And D, Fort Wilderness. So that was it. That was the beginning. That's all there was at the, at the beginning in Walt Disney World. So... The park was dedicated by Roy Disney, which is Walt's brother, because sadly, Walt did not live to see the grand opening of Walt Disney World. He had already passed away in December 15, 1966, five years earlier. So that's kind of sad that he didn't get to see it come to full fruition. Um, So that kind of makes me sad, but it's a huge event in Disney's history, the grand opening in Florida. Everyone is really excited for it. That's why there's so much buzz about this. And I think it's going to be really big. I think the crowds are going to be jam-packed in there come October. So I thought it was interesting that I've always known that it was the Magic Kingdom, the Contemporary Resort, and the Polynesian Village. I don't think until you just said that, that I realized that Fort Wilderness was one of the original ones too. I thought it came a couple years later. So that makes sense that they did the refurbs on all three of those resorts. I knew about, again, about Polynesian and Contemporary. That made sense to me completely. Yep. However, that was, wow. I 
I learned something today too, listeners. I didn't realize. You learn something new every day. You do learn something new every day, <laughs> even when you're a teacher. That's right. So there's actually a reason that Friday, October 1st, 1971 was selected for the opening day of Walt Disney World. They calculated that this would be like the slowest day of the week and the slowest month of the year in Orlando at that time. I don't know that that's true anymore. I'm not sure there is really a slow time more than a couple days in, in Orlando now, but nonetheless, Disney was concerned because if you remember when Disneyland opened, it was a disastrous mess. Like the crowd was were huge and they just weren't expecting the crowd. Like the food ran out, if you remember right. I think we actually, Kaylee and I did an episode on this years ago about the opening of that park and all the things like the, what do you call that? The asphalt wasn't dry and at that time uh, moms wore high heel shoes to that kind of stuff and their heels were stuck in the in the pavement and it was a mess and even though it was 16 years earlier you know 1955 ahead of disney world the wounds were still fresh they were kind of having nightmares about this repeating that here so for the grand opening walt disney world got in touch with the florida highway patrol and um they had them issue a statement two days in advance warning people in Florida that there was a possibility that 300,000 people might show up into the Magic Kingdom for the first day. That, again, was a calculation based on what they had seen in 1955. So people did start lining up at the toll booths by about midnight on October 1st, which was uh, September 30th going into it. Luckily, there ended up being only like a thousand people or so at the entrance of the gates when the park actually opened at 10 a.m. That's pretty funny because I don't know that that park ever opens at 10 a.m. now, not even when they reopened for uh, the pandemic. Yeah, my how things have changed, right? Yeah, no kidding. So it seems that the warnings that the Highway Patrol issued were effective and sufficiently kept the masses of people away, which I'm sure made the Disney bigwigs happy because they didn't want in a reoccurrence of what happened in 1955. So don't, don't get me wrong. They wanted people in the park. They just didn't want it to the level and the disastrous mess that it was in Disneyland. This makes me wonder, are they working with the highway patrol for the two week date from now, two weeks from now? It does make you wonder. Because they're probably at least in contact with them, even if they're not asking them to do specific things. If they were estimating 300,000 people in 1971, I don't even want to begin to think about how many people, I mean, that's the perk of having park reservations versus back then they didn't have that, but holy smokes. Correct. There's going to be some people there, even people that just want to be at the front of the park, even if they can't get in, to say that they were there on that first day. It's interesting. I didn't put two and two together until you just said it. Now they have the luxury of the park reservation. They know because you have to have that to get in. Right. So they, they really kind of know they have a better feel for that now than they ever did before. So they're probably got that pretty under control. I would think this go around. Well, I hope so. I mean, because they do have those numbers, but I still think that they should be in contact with the police or the highway patrol just to give them a heads up as to what they're going to have to be dealing with because you know there's going to be crazy drivers trying to get into the parking lot i think there will be heightened awareness let's just put it that way i think there'll be all hands on deck maybe for this 
month of October, at least to get it going. Um, I don't know. Hopefully they, hopefully it's not just overwhelming because that would not be a good guest experience for anyone if it's that. So I want to take a left turn here and talk a little bit about the first guests at Walt Disney World. There is a story here and I did not realize it until I was researching for this episode. Never had heard this before and it might just be because I missed it, but I do a lot of reading on Disney history, but I didn't know this one. So I'm going to do this in Sophia style in from the Golden Girls. So picture it, Orlando, 1971, right? Opening morning, there's these Disney fans. They have their faces pressed to the gates in hopes of being the first family into the park. Now, actually, the, the person whose job it was to handpick that first family was Disney director of marketing Jack Lindquist. And he slowly walked back and forth, just surveying the crowd. And he was looking for a family who represented that idyllic Disney family at the time. So guess who? what he was looking for? Looking for a family with a father who looked like Jack Nicholas, the popular golfer, you know, very handsome, and a mom who looked like Mrs. Brady from the Brady Bunch. And so that's kind of what he was looking for. I know that would not be politically correct today, but that's just how it was in 1971. That's who he was looking for. So he picked someone and that lucky family that was chosen was William Windsor Jr. from nearby Lakeland, Florida and his pretty blue eyed wife, Marty. And they had two sons, Jay, three years old and Lee, who was about 19 months old. And they had actually arrived so early that morning that they ended up sleeping in their car overnight at the nearest roadside rest stop, just so they could be among the first into the parking lot to try to get a good spot. So obviously their efforts paid off. Um, since they were the quote, chosen family to enter the park first, they got to ride on the fire engine in a parade processional down Main Street, escorted by Mickey Mouse himself, right down to the center of the hub. And when they get there, the band behind them strikes up when you wish upon a star and then there's an array of characters that just pour out of the castle onto the stage and then the family was taken from attraction to attraction the entire day with the full vip treatment all day long so pretty good darn deal for being the first family in the park you have to admit that is an awesome deal here's the thing that i thought was interesting and maybe i'm wrong you said they were looking for the model family so in my mind i was picturing mom dad and boy and girl yet they picked a family with two boys because back then i really think that that's what people's model family looked like and honestly they were big families like the brady bunch they could have been looking for that who knows but that's true that is a very interesting story, but there is a twist to this. The Windsor family wasn't actually the first people to get to the park. The first guests that were arriving were three college students, Keith Paget, Jack Sherrod, and Gary Walker. And they were three University of Florida students who had devised an intricate plan. Now, no offense to University of Georgia. I mean, Brad and I are Bulldog University of Georgia and we go against University of Florida. However, University of Florida students are known to be wild. So keep that in mind when I'm telling you this story. Those three college boys camped out overnight, but they were shooed away by police officers and Disney officials. The security officers spent much of the pre-dawn hours trying to shoo away number of overly eager guests. But once the gates opened to sell tickets, the three college students had cleverly divided and conquered. So Sherrod, 
was a former high school football star and he had a 9.7 second time in the 100 yard dash. So he ran to the gate. Walker was also a high school football star and he would run for the tickets and then Paget would go park the car. Their plan worked amazingly well and technically, technically, the three friends were the very first paying customers through the gates of Magic Kingdom. However, like Brad said, they were looking for an official first family and three rowdy Florida college boys were not what they were looking for to be in all their pictures. And I'm sure they were on posters and all kinds of things. Disney wanted a family that was wholesome and would fit that mold. And so that is how the Windsor family became the first Disney family. And I think that that's okay, Brad. That, I mean, I'm, I don't know if those college students would agree with me, but I think that's okay because they were specifically looking for a family. Not that those guys were not wanted. They still, I'm sure, would be happy to have them come and be guests. They were looking for a family. And obviously those boys were not a family. Well, you would think, but the plot thickens even more. Great. So there had actually been no official announcement by Disney that they were going to pick a, quote, first family to be going into the park. This just happened. You know, Disney knew this, but no one really knew. It was on the DL? Yeah, it was on the DL. They didn't, no one in the masses knew this, but nor did they know that the first family that was picked was gonna get additional favors and perks. So Jack Lindquist, the director of marketing, later stated that it was not necessarily a happily ever after ending between this first family of the Magic Kingdom and the Disney company. Here's why. Here's what Lindquist was quoted as saying, quote, after selecting the first family for the opening of Walt Disney World, I welcomed them into a mass of flashbulbs and hoopla. The Windsors received a royal day of VIP hosted functions, including lunch and an overnight stay at the hotel. We gave them lifetime passes, but those are mistakes that we soon learned should not have happened because they took unfair advantage of their perks. Appreciating an advantage is fine, but taking advantage in an uncalled for manner is not okay. After opening day, the Windsors would often call and say, hey, we'll be there in about two hours and we want someone to meet us to do this and to do this and this. Oh, and by the way, we're bringing 12 people and we want to have dinner and stay overnight. So Linquist said it kind of put a damper on the all-American family concept. And he wraps it up by saying, the Windsor family is probably still visiting the park today for free, end quote. That is sad. This makes me wish that they wouldn't have chosen them and they might should have chosen the college kids. I, I don't know. Plus, this just goes to show you that from the very beginning, people are going to abuse the system. This is not a new thing. People are going to abuse the system at every turn, whenever they can. Why would they think lifetime passes means they get to boss Disney around? Well, I think I think it is true that they could call up and say we're coming. I think some of this is part of what the perks that he was referring to, but it's the way in which they abuse them. Like, oh, we're bringing 12 people too. And we want dinner and we want to stay the night. Yeah, exactly. Which I think the overnight stays and all that, that, that may have been part of the original deal. But again, I think there's a point where you just, you abuse it. I think that was his point. That's just wrong. And if you're in the Windsor family, shame, shame, shame on your, it would be probably your grandma and grandpa by now, but that's awful. Yeah. It kind of put a sour ending to the story. You know, I thought, oh. Because people just want more. Correct. Disney, if you're listening, 
I will take a lifetime pass and I promise I will not take advantage of you. <laughs> I'm I sure wouldn't. I'm sure Margie and Gina and Sarah and Miranda would take that too. And Stephanie, I'm sure all of you would. Yes, we would. And you wouldn't abuse it. <laughs> no, because I would just be grateful for the pass. Right. I don't know. Well, they don't give those away. I don't know if they still do that for cast members or not, but I know that, you know, Gina that graduated with Kaylee, her grandma used to work at Disneyland and she has a lifetime pass because she retired from Disney after like years and years of service. I don't know if they still do that. Um, I bet they're leery of doing it. But obviously I'm sure they have really put stipulations on this now because of these, again, it's the people who abuse the system that ruin it for everyone. So there you go. Cuckoo could chew people. It really is. So Vic, I just kind of wanted to walk through that. I wanted to spend some time on that very first opening day because it was, you know, what we're getting ready to celebrate 50 years of. Before we end up on this story, Brad, I would like to say this makes me curious if they're going to look for a first family in the parks on October 1st in two weeks. And even if they are, the look of a fam the family is going to look way different than it did in 1971, especially with Disney's new inclusion key. True. They may. I think they'll shy away from that, though. Well, it doesn't have to be the extent that they did with this other family. I think if they just made a big deal about them and took some photos and, and stuff and even let them have a free couple free lightning passes, they'd probably be happy. Yeah, probably. Or give them Disney Genie for the day uh, plus for their trip or something. That would be a little more economical and something that they shouldn't be able to take advantage of. But you're right. People always have to push the envelope. They do. So now that we uh, talked about Disney being taken advantage by the first family of Walt Disney World, we are going to tell you some other historical events that happened in October. And if you've listened to this podcast for a long time, we used to do a hist history segment. And I'm just kind of have a soft place for that because I like to to go back and look at the stuff that was done, especially with Walt and his brother Roy leading up into Walt Disney World opening and just to see where they came from. Um, and it doesn't hurt that they're from Marceline, Missouri, which is very close to us and we can visit it whenever we would like to. That's right. So on October 16th, 1923, it's been almost 19, 98 years since Walt and Roy Disney went into business for themselves. That's when they went into business. The entrepreneurs had just learned a hard lesson that only suckers don't own and control their intellectual properties. And along with UBI Works and Charles Mintz, Uncle Walt had created Oswald the Lucky Rabbit on behalf of the Universal Pictures. However, Universal would soon take complete control of it and fire Disney. So then Walt in turn signed a contract with MJ Winkler to produce a series of Alice comedies. And you can probably, I think, you can YouTube them. I'm not sure if those are on Disney Plus. I haven't looked for them, actually. They could be. I'm not sure about those. So on that date, October 16th, 1923, was used as the start of the Disney company, first known as the Disney Brothers Studio. And they wanted to make sure from there on out, they were not taken advantage of, or what they came up with was not taken away from them, like Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, because Walt was seriously down about that, and rightfully so. Yeah. Yep. And so moving forward a little bit, a few years into October of 1949, 
Walt Disney formed its own music company in that year. And then even a little few years later in 1955, actually October 3rd, 1955, that's two days after the grand opening of Disneyland. I never knew that either, how close though how close those were together. So October 1st, Disneyland opens. And then two days later, the Mickey Mouse Club first airs on television. And I grabbed a short little clip of it. So I'm gonna let you guys hear that now. I just like this song. Um, this was from the original. So let's take a listen. first aired in fact my mom was only three years old but she remembers watching it and one of our local stations I do remember when I was probably in elementary school they would show the original Mickey Mouse Club on one of our local stations after school and I do remember coming home and watching that and then I know Annette Bonicello when she was on the Full House episode where Danny was all her fan, like he was wigging out because he had wrote to her as a child and all this. And then he said, dun, 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 Annette. And I remember that. I would do that with each one of the Mickey Mouse Club members when they were doing their announcements. It was just part of a regular thing, but. Yes. And then um, a couple of years later after that, October 10th, 1957, the first program of Zorro premieres on TV. And my dad talks about that, or he's gone now, of course, but my dad talked about that show. He really liked that show. Yeah. 
it's funny the stuff that my dad watched and how Disney related it was and yet he never went to Disney. So in October 25th in 1965, this is a messy but funny moment from Disney history. Reporter Emily Bavar claimed the scoop of a lifetime when she learned about a Florida land grab. This is when Disney was tricking the whole system because he knew that people weren't going to let him buy large pieces of land. At least not with not at a bargain, they weren't. Right. And this reporter got a wind of it. Disney wasn't ready to confirm at the time that this reporter got wind of the fact that they had acquired all of this land. So they asked the governor of Florida to do so on their behalf. And then about a month later, so in November, Disney himself confirmed that he was able to purchase thousands of acres of land on the sly with the intention to build an East Coast version of Disneyland there. And I am sure that the businessmen that he purchased this land from were hot when they found out and thinking that they could have just really stuck it to him. It's business. No, I know. I agree. And it wasn't illegal. No, it wasn't. It's just funny because he knew the name would carry weight and that they would jack up the prices. So very interesting. So October 16th, 1973, when the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney Productions was celebrated. So again, they started in 23, 73, 50, 50 years later. So there you go. So then in October 1st, 1988, I didn't realize that this resort was that old. Caribbean Re Beach Resort opened in October. And then October 30th of 2012, the Walt Disney Company announces its agreement to purchase Lucasfilm Limited, ushered in the era of Star Wars. Right. It's still diehard Disney fans still have a hard time if they're not Star Wars fans. They're still... A little miffed about this whole situation but again like you said it's a business and it's all about making money and they saw the golden opportunity and just took it yep. um, even some diehard star wars fans are not thrilled that disney merged with they feel like they're their own entity i think they've started to get over it because they have all this cool stuff and disney does things so well that they make the movies come to life in their parks mm -hmm. but at the same time there's still some people that would like to have a heated conversation about how those two should have never merged. But man, the money they're making, I know Disney doesn't regret it. Yeah. The purist will never die. Right. No matter what mergers happen. October 20th, 2013 is when Saving Mr. Banks held its world premiere at the London Film Festival. And wow, what an amazing movie that was. It did really capture, I think, the essence I mean, it was really about Mary Poppins, the story, but it, it captured the essence of Disney and kind of what he was about and how he how he operated. Right. It was it's a very cool movie. There's and I there's a lot of Disney movies that we watch over and over and over. But this is one that I just never get tired of. And then I always want to watch Mary Poppins immediately following it just because I. it's kind of like when you go to see. Uh, wicked at the theater and then you want to go watch Wizard of Oz so that you can see all the tie-ins and stuff it's the same way with this movie and it was very well done and yep. I enjoyed seeing the Sherman brothers I mean they're alive now and I think they felt like their their personalities were portrayed well on the screen yes now I don't know that every person thought that but I thought it was really well done it was I thought so too all right, now we're going to move on to more of really history about the parks themselves. So again, we're going to back up a little bit since this is a new section we're talking about. October 5th, 1955, 
the Disneyland Hotel opens on a 60-acre site next to Disneyland. And keep in mind, this was only four days after the grand opening of Disneyland itself. It was the first hotel to bear the Disney name, but ironically, it was not initially owned by Disney. Disney would not actually acquire it until 1988. So 33 years later. Yeah, interesting. And next up, I put this one in here because of the sheer, just the sheer contrast in where we are to where we've been. Um, October 11th, 1955, the first ticket books are made available at Disneyland. And the cost was $2.50 per adult and $1.50 per child. And it contained tickets A, B, and C for eight rides. $2.50. Oh my gosh. So that's separate from park admission, right? This was just for rides? That's how I read this. I I thought that was to get in the park and then for some rides and then you paid extra for some rides. Okay. That it was my be. understanding. I wasn't alive, so I don't know that for sure. And we could research it and but I'm pretty positive that's what it was. And then you just paid on to it. But even if you paid on to it, Brad, it would be nowhere near right. the hundred and fifty-nine dollars a day. Yeah. So I just wanted to point this out because this is the the first version of individual attraction selection, right? It was just way lower. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean this was the this is the first version of Disney Genie Plus, I think. Yeah. That's what I'm that's how I'm reading it. You know, you get so many rides by purchasing this. Holy smokes. Crazy. Well, a year and three days after Disneyland opens, they welcomed their five millionth guest. Crazy. That is kind of crazy because people go on vacations now, but I feel like back then a lot of family vacations were not extravagant like this. I feel like they were, well, especially for when we were children, our vacations, and they were wonderful. So don't hear what I'm not saying. They just weren't these extravagant trips to Hawaii and to Disneyland and cruises that kids take nowadays. We went to the lake and fished, or we went to Silver Dollar City in Branson, and it had some little bitty rides at the time. It didn't have anything near like it does now, and just relaxed and enjoyed life, getting away from the hustle and bustle. So that's interesting, that five million guests in a, a little over a year. Yep. So October 3rd, 1971, two days after the grand opening of Walt Disney World, the Peter Pan's flight attraction opens in Fantasyland at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. And it's still kicking, right? That is still such a popular ride. And I have nothing against Peter Pan's flight. I love it. And I love the queue. I just wish it was longer. <laughs> I know. I know. Because with no fast passes, um, I don't want to have to wait 45 minutes to an hour to ride that ride because I feel like I barely get seated. They sprinkle the pixie dust and they lower the um, bar and the next thing you know, you're coming out the other side. I feel like it's like, blink. I have a feeling we might be in for some wait times that make those look like nothing. I really hope that's not the case, but that's the sense I get from where we're headed. We'll see. Uh, then mid-October of 1971, the cover of Life magazine shows 1,500 Disney employees and characters in front of the Cinderella Castle at Walt Disney World, obviously celebrating the grand opening. Yeah, I love that photo. It also dates, if you look at it, it dates clothing and everything, but <laughs> yes. it's such a cool photo. And that's one I know that when I look at it, it makes me think, I wish Walt could have saw that. Yeah. 
all of his hard work and and there it was all the people just standing there and happy to be there and just what a cool thing so then october 22nd 1979 now keep in mind that's a that is eight years and 21 days it took them to get to the hundred millionth guest holy smokes at walt disney world the rate of that is much larger than disneyland oh sure it's also more ground correct when you when you say more ground like acreage and stuff because that's why disneyland has to reimagine so many things vastly larger than disneyland yeah they're limited and so that's why they do much more changeover than we do yeah like i own disney world or something than florida does <laughs> let me rephrase that <laughs> October 1st, 1982, the 11th anniversary of Walt Disney World came with a pleasant bonus. That's always nice. It expanded with the opening of a new park, Epcot. Not just Epcot, Epcot Center. Epcot Center, which was later named just Epcot. And it was the second park to open at Walt Disney World, and it was dedicated by Cardone Walker. He was the CEO of Disney at the time. And I don't know if that man is still alive, but I would love to interview him and see what he thinks of where we are now. If he's not, he's probably taken a couple of turns in his grave. So Right. Walt Disney's daughter said he was not frozen so that he could come back. And I said, because if he did, he would be like, what is going on? He would, he would beg to go back if he saw probably what it is now. Put me back in the ground. Yeah, yeah. All right, so October 1st, 1994, we're speeding ahead into the 90s, just like Spaceship Earth goes through the decades. We're speeding into the 90s now, where the robotics are very janky and don't work, just like Spaceship Earth. Sorry. <laughs> the name of Euro Disneyland is officially changed to Disneyland Paris. I'm not sure all the reasonings behind the rename. I just know that it was renamed. Well, I thought the, that the thought process was that it should be unique to the place it is. And originally they were going to try to put it in other countries in Europe. Yeah, that I may be true. I believe that's what it was. But yeah, I actually like it better during Disneyland Paris. I don't know why. I just do. So October 1st, 1995, Disney's Vero Beach Resort opens in Florida. It is a part of the Disney Vacation Club Resorts. And this was Disney's first oceanfront resort and first vacation destination that was not built at a theme park. However, it is amazing if you've never, we've never been there, but if you've wanted to know what it's like, there are plenty of YouTube videos of vloggers that go there and stay there and will show you around. And it, it's pretty amazing, I gotta tell you. And it doesn't necessarily have the characters and stuff, but it has the Disney touches that make it a Disney owned resort. So moving ahead, October 12th, 1995. Vic, I'll let you announce this one since you've been announcing these all along. <laughs> Walt Disney World welcomes its which guest? 500 millionth guest. And so that was 24 years and 11 days, but that doesn't seem like very long for 500 million. It's just crazy, 500 million people. October 15th, 1998, one of my family's favorite shows, or at least mine for sure, Fantasmic premiered at Disney's MGM Studios, which is now known as Hollywood Studios. And if you're listening, Disney, if you could have this back by the time I'm there at Christmas, I would be so grateful. That would be like the best Christmas present on top of you opening back Candlelight Professional. So if I could have both of those things, I don't think that's a lot to ask for. <laughs> I just love that show and I want to share that with my mom. 
and I've told her about it for years and years and years, and I want her to have that opportunity to see it. Yeah, that would be cool. I do hope they can pull it off. All right, moving on. In October 1st, 1999, Disney officially begins the now popular pin trading. Now, I don't think they're currently doing this, right? So it's doing it's being done differently. There okay. are select times at some parks and in some stores, they have like a board and mm. it tells you what time at that store you can trade pins. I don't know if this is gonna change sometime in the near future or if they're just gonna stay with it forever. I know that the avid pin traders are not happy with how it's being done now, obviously, because they want their certain pins and they're used to, you know, like if they're a pass holder, they're used to going and trading out pins all the time. Yep. So I don't know, we'll have to see with uh, what Bob Chapik has to say about this, because I'm sure he'll have plenty to say mm -hmm. about pin trading, because is it a moneymaker? Because if it's not, he's probably going to not push it as much. Right. You meant Bob Paycheck, right? Oh, yeah, no. that's right. Oh, no, you meant Bob Chapik, but I meant Bob Paycheck. All right, moving on. October 7th, 2002, A Bug's Land opens at Disney's California Adventure. I had to mention that only because I love that movie, A Bug's Life. And because it was Kaylee's first movie we took her to, and guess what? Bugs Land is now closed. They had to close it to make way for the Pixar stuff. Yep. Again, because they don't have as many acres of land to work with as Disney World does. Yep. October 8, 2003, the fireworks show Wishes, a magical gathering of Disney's dreams, also premieres at the Magic Kingdom. And I believe it was around until 2017. I think it was 14 years. Mm -hmm. And when it went away, I remember that we were all like, no, don't make it go away. And actually, I think it was longer than that, Brad, because I was doing the podcast regularly when Wishes went away because Nick and I were, we listened to the Happily Ever After before they showed the fireworks with it. And we're like, I don't know. We don't know if we're going to like it. But now, of course, we love that one. So I'm hoping it'll be the same way with this 50th celebration one. Although I know that people are talking about petitioning to bring back Happily Ever After once the 18 months of the 50th is over. They said they'll be tired of that song, which who knows? All right. The next one is October 9th, 2003. So Mission Space celebrates its grand opening in Epcot at Walt Disney World. The ceremony was attended by Michael Eisner, CEO of Disney at the time, Carly Fiorina, CEO of Hewlett Packard, NASA Administrator Sean O'Keefe, along with several astronauts and two crew members aboard the International Space Station. I just thought that was cool. That is cool. Another cool thing is, or they could have done, they could, <laughs> Margie, do not send hate mail if you're listening to this episode. They could have waited until October the 9th of this year to open Space 220 since they waited this long anyway. And then it could have been on the anniversary date of the ride that's connected to it opening. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm sure they would have had a lot of hate mail. Margie wouldn't have been able to eat there and then she would have been unhappy with me. Yeah. October 3rd, 2005 in Disneyland in the forecourt of the Sleeping Beauty Castle. 10 of the original cast members of the Mickey Mouse Club, along with 1,000 honorary Mouseketeers, form the world's largest pair of Mouseketeer ears. How cool is that? Which means, dun, 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 Annette was there. That's right. Annette Funicello, classic, will never get old. October 2nd, 2009, a ticker tape parade is held for Buzz Lightyear at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World to celebrate his return from 15 months 
in the International Space Station and also appearing in the parade were astronauts Buzz Aldrin and Michael Finke. I love that. And don't you know that the Disney cast members love the ticker tape parade? They don't do those anymore. They don't. Yeah, because remember when we first went to Disney World, the even the um, parades like shot off confettis and stuff and they would have to clean them up. I know it's not good for our Earth to do that stuff anyway, but it was yeah. really cool to look at. <laughs> October 30th, 2010, the Disney Dream cruise ship is complete and launched at the Meyer Wharfed shipyard at Papenburg, Germany. It could hold a maximum of 4,000 passengers and just shy of 1,500 crew members. Now, keep in mind that the Disney Dream cruise ship right now, so that means that we had 5,500 people on board with the passengers and the crew members. The Dream that's running at this very minute this week only has 1,200 passengers now. And I'm sure it doesn't still have 1,500 crew members. It probably doesn't need that many for only 1,200 passengers. Wow, that's so crazy. But it doesn't, it's not being launched from Germany anymore. It's being launched from Cape Canaveral. Times how they have changed. Goodness. October 1st, 2017, Epcot celebrates its 35th anniversary. That's cool. I love it. Epcot is really cool. It's probably one of our favorite parks now. So next year, in the midst of all this 50th stuff, Epcot will be celebrating 40 years. That's right. What will they do? They'll probably, they probably got something planned for the 40th. Well, they already put all those lights all over it for the 50th of Walt Disney World, so that it should definitely be very, very interesting. We're ready for you, Disney. So thanks, Brad, for taking that walk down memory lane with me with important events that happened in Disney history for the month of October. But very shortly, we'll be able to talk more in depth about the 50th anniversary and all the things that are going to happen. And even if we're not going to be at the celebration, if you've been listening along with us, you know that in two weeks, there will be an ABC special hosted by Whoopi Goldberg to celebrate the 50th anniversary for all those that aren't able to be at the celebration in Florida. And you can be sure that we'll be giving you all the details and letting you know all the information that we can as soon as we have it. A few final reminders before we sign off today. You can text us at 636-395-0544 to book a trip, get a free quote, ask questions, leave a comment, or even if you're just interested in being a guest on the show. Again, the number is 636-395-0544. And just a reminder that it only takes a $200 refundable deposit to hold your reservation. So don't delay, contact us today. You can check us out on our Facebook page, The Mousecapades Podcast, or our Your Story Travel TikTok account at Your Story Travel. Be sure to listen to Wednesday's show as we dish the latest rumors and news and chat with the gang. As always, we'd like to thank you for listening to the number one podcast that entertains that space between your ears, the Mousecapades podcast. Well, Brad, I think it's about that time. Disney love. Just keep swimming. Have a magical day, my friends. <laughs>